Hello, everybody. Happy Easter. Resurrection Sunday, if you are so inclined. Glad you're here today. I love to talk about and celebrate resurrection. I love the fact that the central image of the Jesus movement is that of God raising to life something or someone that was dead. And and we get to um, build around that mystery and and celebrate that mystery uh, whenever we want on a daily basis as a follower of Jesus. So uh, I I love that uh, Easter is something we celebrate this time of year because this is a season of resurrection, right? Like we just went through a February that didn't get above 25 degrees, and now we've had a March with lots of sunshine and uh, some 60s and even some 70s. On my way here, the daffodils are, are sprouting and have, have sprouted, so there's a symbol of newness of life all around us. Baseball is back. What more could we have to celebrate resurrection than the um, resuming of the greatest sport on the planet. So I'm always excited when baseball is back in town. And uh, uh, the Masters this week, um, another great symbol of, uh, of, of spring and newness. At the pandemic, <clears throat> some of the realities of the, some of the, uh, the realities of the pandemic are, are starting to loosen. Where they, they opened up my booth again at Panera, which has been closed all year. Talk about resurrection and, and... That guy that talks with his mouth full when I'm there prepping for my sermons, because of the pandemic, they actually moved further away from my booth. So if there's any good that has come from this pandemic, um, when, when I, that's, this is how an only child thinks, right? Because it's like all about me and all for me. And, and one good thing from the pandemic is the guy that talks with the mouth full is now further away from me on now that my booth is, is open back up at Panera. But there are, some, there are some good things around us now this time of year to remind us of what resurrection is all about. But today what I want to do as we talk through the resurrection is I want to talk a little bit about the underbelly of resurrection. Because you can't have a resurrection without what? Without a death. And, uh, and so there's this, uh, this, here's the word of the day or the phrase of the day. I'm going to say all is lost, an all is lost moment. I'm going to say that like 200 times over the next 20 minutes. So uh, I'm going to talk about all is lost moments. And, uh, and, and we hate all is lost moments, but all is lost moments actually uh, help us appreciate life. And you can't have a good story without an all is lost moment. So there's, there's an importance to the all is lost moments, especially in the concept of resurrection. Now, uh, one of the ways that we see that um, is, is here, you know, going back to the weather in northeastern Ohio, we really appreciate the good weather when we have it in northeastern Ohio. And one of the reasons that we say that is because we have to get through winter to get it, right? Like, we're really excited about 65. The first 45 degree day, we got our windows down in our car because of what we've been through to get there. But if you can if you can picture for a moment, like let's just say we all lost our long-term memory and we lived through real-time a weather cycle here in northeastern Ohio, what if we started out in late May and it's like, oh, it's 70 and sunny here. And then we got into June, it's 75 and sunny here. It's great. It's the greatest. Why do people pay a million dollars for a 1,200-square-foot bungalow in San Diego when there's northeastern Ohio weather? Like, it would be incredible. And then it gets July, August, September, early October. It's 60s, it's 70s, it's 80s, it's sunny, it's great. 
And then all of a sudden, it turns gray, and the sun goes away for five months. And then it's 40, and then it's 30, and then there's snow, and then it doesn't get above 25 for six weeks. And what would we say? All is lost. Like, we would be miserable not knowing that there was, like, just in the middle of that all is lost moment, and then all of a sudden it starts to warm back up, and wow, the great stuff is back. So we know how good the 75 and sunny Ohio day is because we've been through the all is lost of the gray January with five hours of sunlight all month. All is lost. And then we can appreciate the good stuff. You know who else understands the power of the all is lost moment? Hallmark. Hallmark has built an empire on the all is lost moment. So uh, I, I know we probably shouldn't talk about Christmas on Easter, but it's always Christmas on the Hallmark Channel, right? Hallmark Christmas, I think they run from, from May through January. They run the Hallmark Christmas movies, and they have the same formula. Hour and 20 minutes, useless dialogue. Incredible decorations, like, like you know, you, incredible Christmas decorations. Totally useless dialogue. And then my wife and I joke every one of these movies, you set, you set the clock because at, at, the, at the hour and 20 minute mark when there's 10 minutes left in the movie, there's the misunderstood conversation. Every movie. There's a building romance for an hour and 20 minutes and then there's one misunderstood conversation. Now, take about two minutes and you, know, you could resolve it, but instead, she's on a plane going back to work and he's on the farm looking all dejected. The relationship's over. One misunderstood conversation. All is lost, right? That's the all is lost moment, which gets you ready because after the commercial break, they're going to be back together on the farm. He's going to turn and look, and she's going to be walking just there. You know, somehow she got back there. Perfect travel scenario. And then they kiss and get married and live happily ever after that. But, but Hallmark has built an empire around the all is lost moment. Now on a much more serious note, we have our own all is lost moments, don't we? The all is lost moment when the spouse walks out and you have no idea how you're going to rebuild your life. The all is lost moment when you lose your job uh, or the company goes under or your career is done and and you have no idea how you're going to pay the bills because all is lost. Uh, all is lost relationships ending. All is lost careers ending. Some of you may have gone through or know someone who's gone through the all is lost medical news where just a devastating diagnosis and prognosis or someone you love and, and you just have no idea how you're going to rebuild. Or, or, or maybe you did the thing. You made the mistake. And all is lost. You have no idea how you're going to rebuild your reputation, rebuild your marriage, rebuild your relationships. All is lost. And so what we're going to see through the power of the resurrection story is God has real things to say to you and me about resurrection when we are in our all is lost moments because the, the gospels are packed with all is lost scenarios. 
There's more than just the crucifixion going on around the time of the crucifixion. The Bible's filled with all those lost moments there in the last couple days of Jesus' life. Let's take the women, for example. Women in Jesus' day and time had almost no rights and no respect in their society. Uh, Very small existence. And then Jesus invites them into this new movement, central, controversial levels, uplifts them in in this new movement that he's beginning and probably these women uh, could begin to dream of a day when there was something more than their very small existence as women. Incidentally, in, in Brunswick right now, the barometer of girl power is off the charts. My, uh, my son Spencer, uh, he's 16 and he did a March Madness uh, bracket poll with uh, a lot of his, his friends. Uh, there were like 30 of them, 29 of them, something like that. And he invited his mom and his dad to be a part of that bracket uh, to just like pad the, pad the payout, I think. Well, um, his mom, my wife, Kelly, um, the only female representation in the whole thing is she's going to win the bracket. So, um, girl power. Yeah, I haven't heard the end of it. Um, but these women, it was watching Jesus down the cross. There was, they lost a lot, or at least stood to lose a lot. Uh, Judas, a horrible all is lost moment in Scripture when someone invited into the inner circle of Jesus betrays him, and goes out and takes his own life. Um, uh, the religious elite, they were an oppressive force, keeping the have-nots crushed low, deciding who's in and who's out, exploiting the poor. And, uh, and, and their leaders had now crucified Jesus, who seemed to be the great liberator uh, of, of the poor from the religious elite, and, well, they, they crushed that movement all is lost or uh, the Roman Empire the the oppressive uh, thumb of the Roman Empire it's the boot on the neck of the Israelites and many believe that Jesus would rescue Israel from the Roman Empire but now it was Rome that was crucifying Jesus so you see all is lost but I don't know that there's a greater all is lost moment human moment in uh, in the resurrection story than that of Peter. Peter has a horrible all-is-lost experience that uh, gets a lot of press in the gospel story, and I think that we can learn a lot from our own dark moments through Peter's experience of all-is-lost and then resurrection. Before we get to that dark moment, uh, I want to remind you of what Peter gained through Jesus. Um, Peter was a fisherman, and in that day and time, if that was your trait, it was, it was your trait. And, and it wasn't like you're going to go you know, get some education, go to a trade school and get a different... Uh, you were a fisherman, and that's what you were going to do. You were going to haul in and sell fish, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the heat, That's what you were going to do with your life, day in and day out. Probably not a lot of purpose there as your only means of existence. And one day Jesus calls Peter and and 
and kind of casts a vision of meaningful work in God's kingdom. A calling, a life calling, a life of great purpose that Jesus had invited Peter. And, and I think we could all like, don't we all sort of want to think that maybe God could use us? Like maybe we would somehow be good enough to be used by God or we would deep down, like we know that we're far from God and even like I you know, don't know anything about the Bible and don't know where you would start in, in helping people. But, but deep down, wouldn't it be great to be called by God to something big, something meaningful, some, like a legacy kind of thing? And Peter has this with Jesus who invites him out of the fishing boat. And the Bible says he left it at once and followed Jesus, embracing this calling. But even more than that, <coughs> Peter struggled with his standing with God in that his first encounter with Jesus is Peter on his knees saying, Get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Like he knew how far he was from God and couldn't imagine any kind of real connection with God because of how far he was in his heart and in his spiritual life. And, and, and so he just says, just get away from me because I'm not good enough for you. And maybe you can relate with that. You know where you've been. You know what you've done. And, you're, like I, and I, I have a fair amount of conversations with people where I, you know, they'll, a, a stream of expletives in casual conversation, who knows what the material of the conversation is, and then comes the dreaded question, so what do you do? I'm like, I'm a pastor, but, and I try to get it out before, but don't worry about what you just said the last 20 minutes, but it's always, oh, so, sorry, pastor. Yeah, if I ever went to your church, the God would strike the building with lightning. Like, I hear that kind of a thing regular, like, people live with this feeling that they're just too far to ever connect meaningfully with God. And that's where Peter was. And Jesus, in spite of his get away from me, he's like, nope, you're coming with me. And I'm going to invite you into the closest circles of friendship with God. So Peter had that. Why? Because he had Jesus. Now, Jesus is arrested. And he's being led away to trial and ultimately crucifixion. And we read this in Matthew 26, one of the great all-is-lost moments in the history of humanity. Matthew 26. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. Again, Jesus was arrested and being ready for trial, being ready for trial. A servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Something like, I swear on my life, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside the city and he wept 
bitterly. Now, one of the gospel accounts says that after that third denial, Jesus looks across a crowded courtyard and makes direct eye contact with Peter. And at that, direct eye contact with Jesus who had invited him in, having denied him, I swear to God, I don't know him. Direct eye contact. And then he runs outside and cries, weeps uncontrollably. And, and you feel the, the lostness of that moment, the utter despair that Peter would have felt thinking of all that he had lost in denying Jesus. So if we're thinking through that, I think we can assume that Peter would have known my calling is done. You know, not only is Jesus about to get crucified, but I just denied. I mean, surely I, I just made direct, like he saw me. He found me miraculously in the crowd, direct eye contact. He knew that I had just denied him. Surely I've lost that calling. Peter was ready to fight for Jesus, so he said, and then he just said, I, I, I swear I don't know him. And then someone who was, who was concerned about his standing with God from the start, imagine what you'd feel like. I mean, you just rejected the faith. The pressure was on, and you rejected the faith. Surely Peter felt a miles away from God. Could God ever take him back? Would God ever want anything to do with him? Can you imagine? I mean, seriously, like a real person in a real situation here. Imagine what Peter would have felt, the scenarios going on in his mind, knowing I just wholeheartedly, with everything I got, rejected Jesus, and then he looked at me. All is lost. Now, let's look at the power of the resurrection and what it meant specifically to Peter. Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb... They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus of the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Make sure you tell Peter that he's going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Just as he told you. <clears throat> then later on, so the disciples do go to Galilee, to the Sea of Galilee, where they had first encountered Jesus. And they're fishing one day. They just kind of get back to life as normal, waiting in hope that one day they'll see Jesus, like the angel had said. It says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, who is so humble he won't mention his own name, he just calls himself Jesus' favorite. He said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. It says they were about 100 yards from shore. 
And Peter recognized Jesus and he dove in and swam with all his might to get to the shore. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now think about what this resurrection moment would have done for Peter. Let's start from the forgiveness side of things because we know that Peter struggled up front with believing that God would want to connect with him. And then he rejects Jesus with all his might. I don't even know him. But when this angel announces the resurrection, what's he say? He says, make sure Peter knows. So what's that say about grace and mercy? What do you think it meant to Peter when those ladies said, hey, the angel, especially Peter, wanted you to know? Now, for the past probably 36 hours, Peter's just running this continual loop. I rejected Jesus. There's no way God could want anything to do with me. So to have this angel say, make sure Peter knows that Jesus is alive. What did that angel invite Peter into? It's like he reaffirmed God's love for Peter. I mean, think about that. If you were just out yesterday on Saturday on some like awful binge of your favorite vice of choice and you came in here just feeling miserable from what you'd done. And I said to you, I want you to know that God spoke to me in my office back there and said, make sure you know God's grace is available to you. Well, that, that you'd be like, how did you know that I, how did God, God, like that would mean something, immeasurable worth. And this angel wants Peter especially to know Jesus is alive. And then Jesus, three times, do you love me? says that Peter was frustrated by that because Jesus continued to ask him. But I'm guessing he probably sat by the fire at some point and realized, wait a minute, three times, one for each of my denials. Jesus gave me the ability to reaffirm my love for him once for each of the times that I denied him. What that must have meant to Peter to see that reinstatement, that reaffirmation of God's love and of Jesus' acceptance. And, and so look at what this does now. This is, this is super important. This is how Peter starts off his letter, his contribution to the New Testament of the Bible. Here's what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For Peter, resurrection meant new birth, living hope, and great mercy. He made that immediate connection. And so you, no matter how far you are from God today, no matter how far you feel, no matter how much distance you feel, no matter how much you feel like you have ruined your life, learn from Peter who wholeheartedly swore that he didn't know Jesus. He wholeheartedly rejected Jesus in Jesus' greatest moment of need walked away from his faith. Even in that, 
Peter understood resurrection to be God's invitation to you and me, no matter how far we are, the love of God simply cannot be broken. And then how about purpose? Surely Peter felt like he lost his purpose. I mean, does anything disqualify you from serving God? Like saying, I swear to God, I don't know him. Like when you reject Jesus, you would think that that would be like a problem. But Jesus says, feed my sheep three times. And what he's, he says, be a pastor to my followers. Lead my followers. He reinstates Peter's purpose. And so I want you to see in, um, in Ephesians 2, Paul says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What, God said, what, what Paul says is that God has prepared things for you. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. Because if you look like this, this was to the Christians in Ephesians. And we learn from Scripture that these people had a past that included things like witchcraft and idolatry. They were far from God. And Paul looks at them and says, I want you to know that God has prepared things in advance for you and only you to do. And so through the resurrection, what we see is that God's invitation is to rebuild and renew everything that is dead, including our former lives. <clears throat> and through Jesus, not only do we have offer of connection with God, proof of God's undying love for us, but we also have an invitation into a life of purpose. Things specifically made for you from God that only you can fulfill on his behalf. And it, for Peter and for Paul and everyone else in Scripture, the resurrection is the proof that no matter how far you are, God can do something new through you. And so what I want you to, here's the, the resurrection image that I want for the rest of the day for you. Because this is truly one of the moments that I would have loved to, have, you know, of everything that's happened in human history, if I could have seen this. Peter seeing Jesus diving in and swimming with all his might to reunite with Jesus. And that's the image that the scriptures give to us for connecting with Jesus. It's the idea of just stop it, just leave whatever and dive in and go to Jesus. Go toward Jesus. Now, in the scriptures, it simply says it's repentance and baptism. Those are the, that's the imagery of connecting with God. Repentance is simply, you know what, I'm going to stop it. And I'm just going to move toward Jesus. It's not perfection. It's a heart thing. It's a, my heart wants to connect with Jesus. And then baptism was the ultimate symbol of that, where it's like a, under the water, out of the water. Death, life, washing, cleansing. And notice that Peter goes through the water to get to Jesus, it's the ultimate symbol of baptism. And if that's a step that you're ever ready to take or talk more about, just let me know. But, but the Bible is clear. Like God wants you to feel confident in your standing with him and in your purpose in life. And that's not based on like a life well lived. There's no pressure to got to get it right, got to get it right, got to earn it. It was all done through Jesus and proved through resurrection, your death penalty was paid for you by Jesus, and that was proved through resurrection. So we're going to do one last song. I want to invite you to stand.
And during this last song, I hope you'll have that imagery of the all is lost moment. And then Peter seeing Jesus, jumping in with all he had and swimming to Jesus. And, and I hope your heart has that moment with Jesus during this song. Let's pray. Father, thank you for resurrection. Thank you that the image of all the images, the image you chose to build around was resurrection. Life from that which is dead. And like Peter, we just dive in right now and swim toward you. We are wholeheartedly grateful that you are the living God who brings life to our deadness in our all is lost moments. You bring hope. We're grateful for that and we celebrate that in Jesus' name. Amen.